largely what Blair had come to Washington to secure. His motorcade left within the hour. The Blair who spoke that night of his determination to pursue the confrontation with Saddam, therefore, was a political leader experiencing all at once the most delicious and painful consequences of his trade. At home, a rebellion was threatening to shake his government into pieces. In Washington, he was luxuriating in the trust and friendship of a president, but understanding that even when a special relationship became personal, it was circumscribed by the demands of domestic American politics. The result was the onset of a sensation familiar even to politicians who find themselves surfing through the highest waves of popularity. Blair was alone. The reason for his apparent calm as he prepared for the flight from Andrews was that this was nothing new. He was quite used to isolation, and part of him even welcomed it. His political character had been shaped and is sustained by an urge to break away, which has caused him to make his biggest mistakes, but has also put an individual mark on him. Moreover, in unravelling his fascination for Americans and their fascination for him, this quality of distance is important. Blair was the youngest Prime Minister since the 18th century, and the most inexperienced. He reacted against the ideologies right and left of his predecessors, and consciously moulded himself as a leader for the age of globalisation. His decision to call his own party New Labour, to the disdain of many of its loyal supporters, was no cheap gesture. He meant it. From the time of his election in 1997, though he didn't have an intellectual approach to politics, he saw himself as the embodiment of change. The partnership between him and the President became the prism through which the arguments about peace and war, about the clashes of cultures and religions, were to be filtered. They seemed unlikely bedfellows, Blair leading a party that carried Britain's socialist tradition along with it, and Bush from a political culture to whom leftism was shocking and mystifying. Yet for reasons that were in part personal and in part the consequence of unpredictable events, they found themselves thrown together. Blair was caricatured as a poodle who had leapt into his master's lap and who was willing to make common cause with right-wing thinkers in Washington. Those American liberals who had fated him in the Clinton years now sat puzzled as they watched him flit from Crawford to Camp David to the White House. The American affair that was kindled by Clinton continued to grow after the arrival of George W. Bush, and on September eleventh, two 2001, it turned into a thing of passionate intensity. In this relationship, Blair found a partner with just as strong an attraction to the politics of touch and feel. From the moment of their first awkward joke at Camp David about using the same toothpaste, these two leaders found that they operated in the same way. It surprised them, but each of them felt a certain childlike glee. Although Bush's dynastic roots are so important to him, and he grew up knowing what it was like to have government cars always at the door, he shares with Blair an innocence about politics that's almost deliberate. Bush is neither interested in ideology for its own sake, nor in the manoeuvrings that excite so many people in the trade. Put Clinton in the midst of a crisis, with roomfuls of aides and analysts and an armful of phones, and soon he's engaged in a frenzy of persuasion and argument, laced with the trickery that comes with that kind of obsession. Nothing could excite him like a difficult negotiation. No one could imagine Bush taking such visceral enjoyment in these things. It's one of the marks of his political style. 
Blair doesn't share it, being a politician who has always had a weakness for back-of-the-envelope deals late at night, but there is a striking similarity in the way they see themselves operating in the political world. Bush's instinct to stand back from the fray, to conduct meetings by staying above the argument, is matched in Blair's awareness of his own lack of traditional schooling in politics. He rose through the parliamentary ranks on the opposition side and came to government with no experience at all of office. It meant that he had his first experience of the workings of government on the day he became Prime Minister. Blair has always treasured the feeling that he's somehow different from the others. He feels himself to be another sort of character. The strange affair between the two was therefore not so strange after all. They're post-war men on whom the sixties left their mark, though Bush's experience of its wilder side was certainly the more extensive. They have a weakness for charismatics and the power of a simple belief, even on the vast...